Good morning. Good to see you today. Welcome to this time we have together. Um, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and how we have success in God's kingdom. Now, many of you know something about success in the natural world, in the material world, in the physical world that we live. And you've been successful maybe academically, you've been successful vocationally. In some way, uh, you say, you know, I know what success is. And maybe we need to take a shift and say, but what does success in God's kingdom look like? Imagine if you were super successful by this world's standards. And everything you, everything you did touched the gold, so to speak. Every move you made, every action you took resulted in favor and good things and houses and lands and all of that. And then you found yourself in heaven one day. And God said to you, I do know you, and you're welcome into my heaven. But all of a sudden, you find yourself a pauper in heaven. You see, even though there's unmerited favor when it comes to salvation, there is not unmerited favor when it comes to, to rewards. And so what God wants to, us to understand is something about how these two kingdoms work. So as we begin to think about this today, I want you to think in terms of two kingdoms and two rewards. And what does that look like? When I was uh, in college, I was preaching at this church. It was a small church out in the country. And uh, as I was up there preaching and talking and everything, they had one individual who took the offering every week. And if you didn't give, he stood there till you gave. It was pretty effective, uh, actually, because you totally gave. Well, I had my friend with me who was my roommate, and he was going to preach the next week. And I said, come on out. I want you to orient yourself to what this is all about. And so we were seated next, seated next to each other, and the guy came with the offering plate. And he put it in front of me, and I reached in and put in my offering. And he put it in front of Mark, and Mark looked and shook his head like, no, I'm not giving today. And the guy stood there and said, you need to give. And Mark looked at me, he said, all I have is a 20 and I'm out of gas. And I said, you're better to trust God for no gas. This guy will not leave. And we're having this dialogue. Now you can imagine this dialogue's going on in church, right? And, uh, and finally, he, Mark, just being who he is, he turned around and he looked in the crowd. He said, anybody got changed for a 20? Now, we're on the front row, and a guy in the very back had seen this drill before, said, yes, son, I got money, I got change, pass it back. So back goes a $20 bill, forward comes change for the 20, Mark puts 10 in, everybody's happy, and life goes on. And I watched that kind of that dynamic, and I thought, you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way we give. Have you ever had that situation where you find yourself at a stoplight, and there's a guy with a cardboard sign with Nike, brand new Nike tennis shoes on, and he's going to ask you to give him something because he's out of work. And there's, you're, you're torn in both ways because you think to yourself, what if this guy's legit? And then on the other hand, what if this guy's not legit? And then you're really praying hard that the light changes quick because he's starting to make his way back from car to car. And there's a tension in your heart there's a tension that wants to give and there's a tension that doesn't want to give even though you can afford it. And even though you don't plan on giving him a lot, you know there's a tension in your heart. What is that tension all about? Why does that tension exist inside of us? And I had this situation where the guy's walking toward me and I'm standing there, I'm sitting in my car and I'm thinking to myself, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to reach in my pocket, I'm going to give him a dollar. 
super generous, Phil. I roll down my window, I reach in my pocket, and it's a five. And I'm thinking, ah, I can't ask him for change. I'm going to give him the five. I give him the $5 bill, right? And as I drive off, what I notice is the way I feel. I feel good because I gave. It wasn't a lot. It's not going to change my economics at all. But there was something about that, and I realized I love the way that I feel when I give. Because we're most like God when we're giving, when we're releasing, when we're touching other lives. There's something very powerful and very spiritual about the act of actually giving back. It is because there are two kingdoms, and there's this kingdom of God, and there's this kingdom of man, and they work differently. They're not similar in so many ways. We also need to understand that God is an investor. When God reached down and loved you and saved you and changed your life, he did it not just for you, but he did it for all those people you would impact in your lifetime. Because he invested love in you and he wanted you to give love back. He invested time in you and he wanted you to give time back. He invested gifts and talents in you and he wanted you to give those back as well. So God is an investor and he wants to see a return. Because God wants us to understand that we have to fuel the kingdom of God, especially as we come into this end-time scenario. There's something about uh, moving in the direction of that, that closing of a time or a closing of an age that makes us more alert and makes us more sensitive to that. I want to read something to you. It's from A.W. Tozer, and it's, it's one of those quotes that you have to kind of watch, listen, and really pay attention to what he's saying. But when you get it, it's very powerful. He says, the man of pseudo-faith. So the guy who really doesn't have true faith will fight for his verbal creed, but refuse flatly to allow himself to get into a predicament where his future must depend upon that creed being true. So a person might say something like this. I really do believe God is the answer to every problem I have but I don't turn to God fully and completely until I've run out of options. I fight for that creed, but not unless I have to live it. He goes on to say, he always provides himself with a secondary way of escape so he will have a way out if the roof collapses or caves in. It's kind of like saying, I believe God is going to heal but I'm going to add on the end of it, thy will be done just in case. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to believe God in my giving, but I'm not going to give until I have to. You know, the thing that's always struck me is when people say, you know, here's kind of how I live my life. I live my life like I really need to make a lot of money so I can give it away, or I wish God would give me a lot of money so I could give it away. But I, I want you to know that I've watched people over the years who move from, let's say, a modest income to a great income, and they're no more generous with a great income than they were with a modest income, because the heart was the issue. It wasn't the balance in the bank. It was what was going on in the inside. And I realized when I give away, when I give, there's something transformational in me that is very powerful and something that I really, really enjoy. Well, Tozer goes on to put it like this. He closes this quote out with these words. What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians 
who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do in the last day. If you had word that you were living in the last day and the last hours of the last day, and the pressure was rising, how would your faith change? Well, I'm going to guess that all of our faith would go up. It's kind of like when we're in crisis. Have you noticed when we're in crisis mode that there's something different about the way we pray? There's something different about the way we live our life. There's something more powerful about our faith and more real about our faith when we find ourselves in crisis moment. Well, what if we lived our life like that all the time? You know, when we started this church a little over two years ago, uh, for the first three or four months or so, nobody had a salary. And we made a decision, my wife and I, from day one, we said, we're going to tithe, we're going to give back on what we don't make, but what we anticipate making. And that was a big step, because it wasn't like we had this money. We said, okay, we've got this money in the bank, and we're not getting income right now, but let's go ahead and do that in faith, and see what God can do. And our whole ministry really has been a ministry of faith like that of investing in God's kingdom and seeing what God is going to produce. And it doesn't mean it's always easy. You know, the Christian life isn't like every day is going to be, oh boy, this is great. No setbacks, no disappointments, no struggles along the way. No, but it means you have a confidence in God that whatever you go through in life, God is going to be there. God is going to guide you. Now, I want you to take your Bibles with, uh, with me and turn to the book of Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to look at just uh, one verse right now. It's Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. And the Bible says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Let's just stop right there for a moment. How many of you got a dime when you're walking in, right? Okay, now, now please do not put that in the offering plate and, and call that your offering today. I want you to hold it. I want you to put it in your purse, put it in your wallet, pull it in your pocket, and say, you know, I'm just going to be reminded of what that means. You know the word tithe means ten. It's actually where we get our word from out of the Latin, the word dime. It comes out of a tenth part. And what we need to understand in this idea of giving, especially in the, in the, in the final days, the final hours of the kingdom, is that, that we don't tithe if we give less than 10%. We're just donating some money, but we're not tithing. Tithe hits at 10%. And the reason I tell you this is not because, you know, we're out of money, not because we can't turn the lights on or we can't pay salaries this week. It has nothing to do with that at all. What it has to do with is your heart and how you're wired for the kingdom. You see, you need to understand this principle more than we need the money. You need to understand this principle that that everything belongs to God, and God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you all of this to steward, and I'm going to ask you to give back to me 10%. And when you do that, watch what I can do with the difference. Watch how I can respond with the difference. So he goes on to say this in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God's house is God's redemptive plan for mankind. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. In the New Testament, it's a local church. He says, do this and watch what I can do, that there may be food in my house and try me or test me or prove me in this. Do you realize the only time in Scripture where God says to put me to the test is this one? You know why? Because the thing that's the hardest for us to do is to release our 
funds, our money. There's something that's almost holds sway over us with money. It's almost like it's got a spiritual dimension to it. He says, I want you to prove me in this. I want you to see what I can do if I will not open the windows of heaven. Now, we believe in an open heaven. That is that God is interacting with mankind throughout all of, of, of society. And yet there are times at which it seems that the, the windows of heaven open and they focus a blessing. If I walk into a room, a window is typically the focal point of that room. When you understand the kingdom of God, there are windows, they become focal points where God blesses in ways that he doesn't bless in other ways or in other places. So he says, I'm going to open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now imagine God making this promise. If you give something away, I'm going to give back to you more than you had before. I'm going to take your life and I'm going to bless it in a miraculous way that you can't even explain. Our entire life, our entire ministry has been that kind of a ministry. There's not been a dollar that I've made that I haven't given at least 10% back unto God. And yet God has blessed me through that whole thing. Well, how do you make that work? Well, I'll tell you, it's a lot easier when you're making $500 a month to give than if you're making $50,000 a month, which I'm not, maybe you are. But you know, there's something about the size. So you take a dime, look how little a dime is. Why, dime almost means nothing, doesn't it, anymore? You, you can lose it in your pocket. Sometimes you just leave the change. You know, you know, now put it back in the tip jar. I don't need the change. It's more aggravation than it's worth. And yet, if I add a zero to it, it becomes a dollar. It seems bigger, doesn't it? If I add another zero, it all of a sudden becomes $100. And I keep adding zeros. It goes to 1,000. I add more zeros. It goes to 10,000. And all of a sudden, the, our perspective changes because of the size. That is the spiritual power that money has over us. We were out to dinner with some friends the other day, and they picked up the tab, thank God, but it was $100. And the comment was made, wow, that's a great meal for $100. Isn't it amazing how a great deal can be a good meal and good service for $100, and yet how God, how $100 seems so big when we think about giving it to God? Why is that? It is because there's a spiritual dimension that money has over us. You see, giving is an adventure that opens up heaven. When we begin to give, we begin to see something. Now, there's a story I love to tell. It's a true story about a man who came to me in a church I pastored, and I'd preached on tithing, and I said, you know, God wants you to give 10% of your income. And he came in with all of his books, and he said, I can't give 10%. And he said, let me show you, I'm working two jobs. He opened up his bank account, he opened up everything, and he said, look, and, and sure enough, he was in bad shape. He was not making ends meet. And he said, do you mean to tell me that if I tithe, God's somehow going to bless 90 more than he's going to bless 100? And I said, I am telling you that. He said, I just can't see it. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you a 90-day challenge. You tithe for 90 days. If God doesn't somehow supply more in those 90 days, when you're done with those 90 days, with 90 than it does with 100, then I'll personally, not the church, but I'll personally pay you back the 10% you gave. Now, have you ever had those moments where you made a statement and you thought about it? And you thought, what did I just say? You know, and I'm thinking, how much did that he say he made and how am I going to do this? And, and nobody was praying more than I was. I was praying more than he was. 
So he was, one of the jobs he had, he was an airplane mechanic, and he wanted to get on with a major airline and, and be a, a mechanic with them. And, and so he was applying, and the uh, first month came by, he called me. He said, Pastor, I've tithed faithfully for one month. Things are not better. Things are worse than they were before. Well, this is not a good sign, right? God, where are you? And uh, did I just say something stupid here? What's going on? The next month goes by. He calls me. He says, Pastor, I got to tell you, uh, not good news. I'm worse shape. I'm sinking deeper and deeper, and I'm praying more and more and more. I'm not sure if I'm praying more for me or for him at that point, but I'm praying. God, come through with this guy. About halfway through the third month, he called me up, and he said, I may have some good news. Thank you, God. I've got an interview with a major airline in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm flying down there, and I'm going to do the interview. Great. How many people are in this interview? He said, about 3,000. Well, now, you know what that means to me. That means that God is really going to have to do a miracle. I'm asking God to erase from memory 2,999 people and just only focus on one. So he came back from the interview, got a call back. He was reduced down to five people in that interview. And I'm thinking, God, you're working. This is a good thing. Now, please let those other four people go on vacation and miss the interview, do whatever they need to do, but eliminate them from the process. He goes down, he takes the interview, and in the interview, they're asking a series of questions, and for some reason, a question came up, why do you want this job? And he gave a couple of responses, like to take care of my family and, and, and just kind of put, you know, follow my vocational path and so forth, and he said, and I want to be able to honor God with the tithe. Now, that's a funny thing to say in an interview, wouldn't you admit? I mean, I can't really think of a time when someone told me that. And the lady stopped and looked at him, and she said, are you a Christian? When somebody asks you that, in that scenario, your first question might be, I wonder if she's asking me that because she wants to eliminate me or if this is going to be a good thing. It's a test of your faith. You see, every day is a test of your faith. How are you going to live your faith? How are you going to respond in certain situations? He said, well, yes, I am. And she said, so am I, and I'm giving you the job. About a year later, he showed up at my door. He knocked on the door, and he said, hey, do you remember me? I said, absolutely, I do. He said, I want to give you a report. You have permission to tell my story anytime, anywhere. He said, I want you to know that I have faithfully tithed. The second blessing of that job was we can, now our families are scattered all over the United States. We can fly free because of the privilege on the airline. And I want you to know that I moved from 10% to 20% of my income, and I still have more than I ever imagined I would. That's a challenge of God, Amen. And you know, that story, I can tell that story dozens and dozens of times over and over again. It's not unique. It's not unique. I remember I was out uh, to lunch with a guy. He was a former uh, uh, football player with the Dallas Cowboys. Wasn't very good at it. Got redshirted the first year, but he likes to tell the first part of it. And I went out to, to, to lunch with him one day, and, and uh, he said, you know, he stopped me right in the middle. You know when somebody just stops you and gets you face to face and looks at you? And he says, you know, I got to tell you something. That tithing thing I can't do. And I said, why? He says, well, I got family, I got college, I got, I got all this stuff going on, I've got two country club memberships. And I said, well, let me ask you something, John. Is it possible that you could make do with one country club membership? Well, anyway, as time went on, you know, a couple of months went by and John got transferred, moved down to Houston, and I lost sight of him for some time until I was back down there doing some educational stuff. And, and uh, he said, hey, come stay with me. I stayed with him. I, I drove up into this 
the biggest house I've ever seen. Now, in Houston, you can buy a lot of house for your money, especially when that was going on. The economy was down. It was the biggest house, and I walked in. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, John has not tapped into tithing yet. That's all I could think of, right? I mean, I went to the lowest common denominator. My mind was still back there on that sidewalk when he was telling me what he couldn't do. I said, John, looks like uh, you haven't started tithing yet. He said, just the contrary. He said, you know, when I moved, I decided I was going to start tithing. I dropped my two memberships there, decided I wouldn't get another one. I started tithing, and God started blessing more than I ever imagined. I started going up to 20%. I went up to 30%. Right now, 30% of my income goes to God. And he said, God's blessed me more than I could ever imagine. I'm telling you, they're not isolated stories. God loves to do crazy stuff like that with his children. He says, God says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven, and I'm going to bless you like you couldn't even imagine. Giving is an adventure that opens heaven. Um, Mark Batterson put it like this, you cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk yours. What if God doesn't come through? What if I tell people I'm going to do this and God doesn't come through? There comes a moment, he said, when you need to make the call and make the move. If you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. You forfeit the miracle. You see, unbelief is anchored in the visible. We are so caught up in the visible world, it's hard for us to move over to the invisible world and think it's a reality. And yet, we know that when we have unbelief, that means that the the visible world is stronger, has stronger sway over us than the invisible world. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, he said this, We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Realize, everything in this room is temporary. Everything that we have is temporary. Even that physical frame that you have is temporary. The eternal is what you don't see, your eternal soul. That's going to live forever. There's a story about a, a very rich man. It's a parable Jesus tells, and it's a story about a, a man who's been very successful with his farm. And he has, he has to build more barns and more silos and more barns, and one night he sits back and he's just thinking about all that he's accumulated over his lifetime. And he thinks to himself, I'm going to build more barns. I'm going to get another investment. I'm going to get another this. I'm going to get another that. I'm going to store it all up. And it says... Jesus says this, you fool, don't you know that tonight your soul is required of you? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What do you really get when it's all said and done? Remember, there's two kingdoms and the standards are different. There's going to be a lot of surprise people in heaven. They're truly saved. They truly know God. They're going to heaven. That's not the issue. But they're going to be those who are, who've been very, at least say, comfortable, if not very comfortable or wealthy, who are going to find themselves in God's eternal kingdom paupers. You see, there are different degrees that are, that are that in terms of responsibility and roles and rewards in heaven. And we don't get them there. We get them here, and we leverage ourselves into that situation. But instead of now of living, let's say, 100 years, we live eternity with no ability to regain what we could have had in this lifetime. The things which are not seen, they're eternal. And the only way to open up these financial windows is to put God to the test. 
Well, what if God doesn't come through? Then his word is a lie. If God's not true in Malachi, is God true in the Gospel of John? If God's not true in Malachi, is he true in the book of Revelation? See, the real question is, is God true? Does God mean what he says? What is the test? The test is, am I willing to release what I love? What I love. You see, money's not evil. It's the love of money. I either love God with all my heart, and I put all this other stuff in balance, or I love the other stuff, and I put God out of balance. You see, the test is, do I really trust God? There's a lot of times in my life, I honestly will tell you, over the years where I've written a check for my tithe, and I didn't know if it was going to work. I said, God, I don't even know if this is going to work, but I'm doing it because I believe you. I'm obedient to you. God, I don't even know how this works. I don't know what you're going to do. God, I don't know how you're going to put all the ends together for me, God, but I'm going to trust you in this. And I will tell you this, God has never let me down in all the years that I have trusted him. Now, we believe in an open heaven. An open heaven means this, that that the miracles of God, that God is interacting with mankind, and God's kingdom can move in your life, and he can change your life. He can bring miracles. He can bring salvation. He can do all of this stuff in your life. We believe in an open heaven. And as I thought about open windows, I thought, now, God, what's the difference between open heaven and open windows? And I realized the difference was this. The open heaven is accessed by faith, but open windows are accessed by obedience. You see, because there's an open heaven, God freely will bring you salvation. Open heaven, God will freely bring you healing. God will clearly work in your life. But he says, if you will do this, I will open the windows of heaven. And I realized it had to do with obedience. That God is not going to bless me financially if I withhold my hand financially. That's tied into the windows of heaven promise, not the open heaven promise. Let me give an example. Matthew chapter 17 and, and verse 11, or verse 21 rather, Jesus is, the disciples bring to Jesus a boy that's possessed by a diva, uh, an evil spirit. And they can't cast the, the demon out of the boy, and the parent is uh, obviously upset, and he, he brings the boy to Jesus and said, your, your disciples were unsuccessful in, in getting the demon out of my boy, and he's just horrible, and can you do anything? And Jesus says this, what am I going to do with this faithless generation? In other words, something's wrong here, guys. You haven't got it yet. It's already 17 chapters into the book of Matthew, so they're pretty far into this, this walk with God. He says, bring the boy to me. He casts the demon out of the boy. The boy's restored to good health. And then the disciples said, we don't understand. Why couldn't we do that? And here's what Jesus said. Some only come out by prayer or by faith and fasting. Okay, wait a minute. So some only come out by prayer, that's faith, and fasting, that's obedience. You see, God's kingdom is unique in one sense, that not everything happens just because we believe. We have to act. We're co-laborers with God. God wants us engaged and involved in the whole situation. And so we have to access the kingdom, the windows of heaven by obedience. You see, Jesus and the kingdom of God is such a critical part that we understand. The message was so radical that Jesus brought. Their message was so powerful that the lame walked. Imagine seeing that, seeing that Jesus walks up, touches someone, a man begins to walk. Those miracles happen today. How about the blind receive their sight? 
Well, this is a miracle of God. How about a demon uh, possessed man set free? That's a miracle of God. The kingdom of God is upon you. How about bondage to this world is broken? That's a miracle of God. How about God financially sustaining you when you have no resources whatsoever? That's a miracle of God. But it doesn't happen unless I am obedient to God. See, God waits for you to act on his law. It's an amazing thing. You know, there is, a, there is in Scripture something called the law of the harvest, and I want to I illustrate this to you. I happen to bring with me, I know we don't have powerful enough cameras to really get in on this in here and see what it is. Can you see that? That's an ear of corn that I grew. Why are you laughing? Uh, you know, if I was responsible for uh, the, you know, all the food in America, we would go hungry, would we not? But let me tell you what's amazing about this. I planted this myself. I watered it. I should have fertilized it. I should have done more. I waited patiently for this to come. And it came. And it produced a harvest. Now, not a very big harvest. There's about 50 kernels on this little ear of corn. But, I, it, but those 50 came from one. So even though I didn't do a great job in the whole cultivation process, the result was the same. The law of the harvest was the same. I planted corn and I got back corn. Not only did I get back corn, I got more than I planted. It came later, didn't come immediately, right? And, and, and the miracle of the law of the harvest is that I cannot reap unless I sow. And you see, that's true in God's kingdom. So when we talk about this idea of the tithe, it's a kingdom principle. It's a kingdom principle. It's not a principle to turn lights on and pay salaries. No, it's part of the kingdom. You see, we need the blessing of God's divine flow in our life more than ministry needs money. We need to understand what it means to walk in the favor of God. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord. That means esteem above all others. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits, that is the beginning and the best, of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see what God wants? He wants the first. I love this discussion sometimes and we're in a men's Bible study or we're just kind of one-on-one and guys go, now is this off the gross or off the net? I said, well, let me ask you something. Do you want to be blessed off the gross or off the net? Maybe you better start with the net and you can work yourself up to the gross. I personally say first fruit is off the gross. That's how I live my life. I said, that's what I'm giving out of. I'm giving out of that abundance that God has given me. And I'm going to see what God can do with that. Imagine, imagine you go to a wedding. I've done a lot of weddings this year. Did a lot of weddings last year. You know, I think, I think we've finished the wedding cycle for this year now. I'm off till about February, and then it starts all over again. But imagine you go down for that wedding cake, that all-famous wedding cake that tastes like cardboard, right? And there's always going to be a bride. Mine didn't. Mine was really great. Yeah, I know it was. You were under the spell of the wedding. Okay. So imagine you go down there, and you can't wait to cut the cake. And you're delayed because the pictures are going on, and all of a sudden you come down the stairs and you're looking at your cake, and someone has taken the first piece out of the top layer of your wedding cake, and they're sitting in the corner having that piece of cake. 
What's your first thought? Bridezilla, right? I'm, I'm gonna take this guy apart. What are you doing? That's my cake. That's my, I should have the first piece of cake from my own wedding cake. It's expected, don't you honor me as a bride? And sometimes I think God is saying to me, don't you honor me as your God? That's mine, not yours. Belongs to me. And I walk down into your life and I see all that I've done for you and I see that you're taking the first and then you somehow don't even think it matters because you haven't started honoring me yet. See, God wants the place of honor in our life. And some people say to me after I preach a message, you know, I know that's hard to do and to preach on giving. I said, actually, it's really easy to do because Jesus spoke about money more than he ever spoke about heaven or hell. wonder why. Because he knew the key. Do you know what I found? I found that men, men have more transformational move toward God in their spiritual maturity when they respond to God's message on money than they do any other subject. Because there's something in us that wants to, 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 to be in control of the situation, to be the provider, to, to think everything's all right. And that is releasing some of our control and giving it over to God. And when a man does that, it's powerful in their life. Because what it does is it opens up other avenues in their life where they can freely hear and, and feel the Spirit of God move. You see, God wants to be first in our life, in everything that we do. Randy Alcorn uh, said this in his book, The Treasure Principle. He said, what will happen to the affluent person of society that does not rectify his materialism? The basic laws of physics gives us the answer. The greater the mass the greater the hold that mass exerts on us. You see, you take a large planet, it's able to hold satellites in its sphere because of the gravitational pull. It's funny how the more we get, the tighter we get, the more we hold on to what we have. And this rule of physics seems to operate in our, in our physical world as well, in our material world as well. But when we, when we step outside of that, what we find is that we break some bondages in our life and gives us a freedom that we never could have experienced before. Here's what I believe about God. I believe that God wants to lavish his love on every one of us. Just lavish it. I mean just pour it over and over and over again. And that this is not about, gosh, I've got to do this. No, it's I get to do this, and God wants to lavish his love. God wants to pour his blessings on us in amazing ways. But sometimes we restrict that. God wants to give us more than we can contain, but we restrict that. You know, when I look at the history of this church and, and just the short time we've been around, I realize that we are where we are because of the generosity of people like you. That this church has been a generous church. This has been a church that has responded and every time we make a step, and we made a step to another location, made a step to this building, now made a step to two services, and made a step to just keep expanding what God is doing, God just keeps slowly honoring what we do. And it's just kind of consistently building and growing and blessing, and God is honoring all we do. In that passage in Malachi, he goes on to say this, and I want you to hear it because it's so good. He says in Malachi chapter 3 and verses 11 and 12 these words. He said, when you do that, Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. What devours your income? What devours your livelihood? Inflation, 
setbacks in your, in your car, your home. He says, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Did you notice who the devourer is? It's a person. So the enemy, Satan, doesn't come in and destroy everything that you have. He doesn't destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear the fruit for you in its field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Here's a promise. Parents, you want a promise for your kids? Listen to this one. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, Psalm 112. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. Do you realize my faithfulness maybe, maybe, may or may not result directly in the blessings that I anticipated, but my children and my children's children will? Do you know there's a way that me, for me to bless my kids? It says here, greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. If I live my life upright, if I honor God and believe God and take God at his word, it says here that the generation that follows will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. And watch this. And righteousness endures forever. It's not just about this financial thing. It's not just about this. No, God says, I'm gonna, I can extend righteousness through obedience. See, the, the cost is higher at the end of any project. You know, we opened the doors to this building December 8th of last year. And we got, it's funny, I was looking back on the schedule. We, we actually got the, um, the release in, in terms of the occupancy permit to come into this on Friday before. We didn't know if we were going to get in this building for that Sunday. And we're down at the city. We're trying to, to get that done. And I realize the cost of any project is greater at the end than it is at the beginning. When we first started in July on construction, it all seemed simple. It all seemed easy. We had plenty of money. Then we began to go down to December. We go, where'd all the money go? We have this to do and this to do and this to do, and we can't finish that. And what are we going to do? And then I thought about Matthew 25 and the parable of the virgins. It's a parable of five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. And both of them are expectant. They're, they're wanting to go to the wedding. They're wanting, it's really a parable about the return of Christ. And the five wise ones had taken their little, their little lamp and they'd filled it with oil. It was a picture of the Holy Spirit. It was a picture of being ready for the return of God. And the other five had not. They'd been foolish and they had found other things to do. They couldn't afford to to fill their lamp with the oil, and so they weren't ready. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 10 through 13 says this, the bridegroom, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Those were the wise. Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, I do not know you. And here's what Jesus says, watch therefore, you do not know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Preparation. I'm going to give when I get some money. No, you won't. I'm going to give when I get everything paid off. No, you won't. I'm going to start honoring God someday, only if you have a change of heart. But if you start that change of heart now and say, I want to be prepared for the return of the Lord. You see, what's happening in our day 
If we look at what's happening in our day, we can all agree, I believe, there's an acceleration of evil in our world today. There are things happening in our world today that we never would have imagined 10 years or 15 years ago. But also there's an opportunity to proclaim the gospel like never before. Never has there been a time where we need and should take the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ than there is today. You know, I love what God is doing with our Bible clubs, and we try to give you a little report every week. But starting uh, in just about a week and a half, we'll be going into two more schools, and we'll be preaching the gospel. We've seen probably somewhere around 120 kids come to faith in Christ in three weeks. The opportunity is great before us. The opportunity at the end of the age. The opportunity for for us to speak the word of God. Because you see, the return of Christ is actually near. I don't know when he's coming. It might be tomorrow. It might be 100 years. But I believe it's near. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. The kingdom of God is aligned with risk. Everywhere you go through this Bible, it's all about risk. Am I going to willing to take the risk? Here's a risk. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a risk. What if he doesn't save me? There's the risk. That's faith. That's faith. That's faith. God honors the one who honors him. See, only you can really know if you're honoring God. Step back and be honest. Do I honor God with my giving, with my time, with my love, with my dedication? Do I honor God? If I give God the first, if I give God the best, God is going to multiply everything around me in a marvelous way. God is going to put protection around me in a marvelous way. Bold steps in our life lead to great rewards bold steps. When you take a step and say, God, I'm just going to trust you in this, watch what God can do. You see, God, I I really believe, waits for us to get the momentum started in our life. And God says, I see you're willing. I see you're faithful. I see you want to move. I'm going to move with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to trust you with greater things in the days ahead because you took the first step and trusted me. I'm going to ask you to take that first step and trust God. I'm going to ask you to take whatever the Spirit of God has said to you this morning and say, you know, I'm going to do that. Whatever that is. I, it may be you say, you know, I'm going to try this tithing thing. I know some of you are going to come up to me and ask me the same offer. Will you do the same offer for me if you'll pay me back? And I said, yeah, I guess I will. If 100 of you come to me, I'm in trouble, but we're going to give it a shot. Amen? Because you see, what we want to do is we want to, we want to be in a situation where we do believe God does the miraculous. Why wouldn't we? Isn't that more exciting than just thinking, well, you know, it's just kind of ho-hum, it's all kind of a nice thing, and, you know, and I, and I, and I give my 2% a year to God, and, and God kind of helps me out a little bit, and I feel pretty good about that? Or would you really like to throw in your heart with God and see what God can do? See what God can do. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray, we want to ask that you would just take today our life, God, that you would take our ministry, and you would begin to move in us in such a powerful way, Lord, that we would see your hand in everything. God, that we would see that our steps of faith that we take are honored by you, that every step we take is a step in the direction of greater faith, greater responsibility, greater blessings that come from your hand. God, in every heart today, there's something different, something different that, that is a need, you say, I, might, I have a need, really, I, I give, I tithe, that's covered, but I have a real need to build a relationship, a better relationship in my family. 
hey, the, the law of the harvest works the same way. What you sow, you will reap. Start sowing more love and see what happens.